There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Luke's English Podcast. This is the second part of a two-part episode in which I'm talking to you about my favorite podcasts. These are podcasts that I like to listen to when I'm out and about doing my thing. Usually, I listen, I listen to podcasts when I'm on public transport, when I'm on the train, uh, or when I'm walking around doing the shopping and things like that. Or I listen to them at home when I'm doing the housework, like when I'm doing the ironing or the washing up or whatever. Um, I love podcasts. I think that audio podcasts are great because you can multitask and listen to the podcast at the same time. I know that you're a fan of podcasts because obviously you listen to this one. Uh, but I thought that I would tell you about some of my favorites so that you might like to listen to them as well. Now, obviously, these podcasts I'm telling you about are podcasts made by native speakers for native speakers. Uh, most of them, or many of them, are made by the BBC or other people in the United Kingdom. Um, and because they're not for learners of English, or not specifically for learners of English, obviously you can listen to them. But because they're not made specifically for you, uh, or specifically for learners of English, that might mean that they're slightly more difficult to listen to, you know, because of the language level, because they speak very fast, there might be different accents involved, and also because of the references that they make. You know, they'll be talking about aspects of British culture that you might not know about. Now, all of those things might be barriers to you understanding and therefore enjoying the podcast as much as I do. But I think there's... I still think it can be a really good idea for you to listen to these. And you might find that one or two of these podcasts uh, are right up your street. And you might find that you listen to them regularly and you become long-term listeners. And then before you know it, you're listening to uh, sort of authentic native speaker podcasts in English. And that's obviously going to be very good for your English, all right? Um, so although they're not necessarily designed for learning English, I still think they can be really great and really useful. And also, I just personally really enjoy listening to them. They make me laugh. They make me think. Uh, and so there you go. Here are some suggested podcasts for you to listen to, okay? This is part two. In part one, I told you about a few others. And um, here are some more for me to tell you about. And um, I think the last thing I mentioned in part one was uh, the next podcast, which is called The Infinite Monkey Cage. So I'm now going to tell you all about The Infinite Monkey Cage. What's all that about? The Infinite Monkey Cage? Um, well, let me tell you about it. And you're going to hear me talking about it right now. So here we go. Now, let's move on to the next one. And the next podcast that I listened to that I thought you might be interested in is called The Infinite Monkey Cage. The Infinite Monkey Cage. Now, this is another BBC podcast. They do make a lot of radio shows. They do. I mean, they're very good. The UK is kind of 
dominated by podcasts made by the BBC and made by the Guardian and and some other independent uh, organisations. But so the Infinite Monkey Cage is a science program, basically. I think it's uploaded every week, and um, in episodes of the Infinite Monkey Cage, you have uh, two presenters, and uh, one presenter is um, called. Robin Ince. And Robin Ince is a, a writer and comedian, stand-up comedian. And the other presenter is Professor Brian Cox. And uh, Professor Brian Cox is one of the world's leading uh, physicists. He's an expert in physics. According to his Wikipedia page, it says uh, Brian Cox, uh, OBE, is an English physicist and advanced fellow of particle physics in the School of Physics and Astronomy at the University of Manchester. And he's best known to the public as the presenter of science programmes, especially the Wonders of the Universe series on the BBC, and for popular science books such as Why Does E Equals MC Squared and The Quantum Universe. Okay, so... um, Brian Cox is basically a popular scientist, and um, he's on television in the UK a lot. He's like a, a well-known, famous uh, uh, personality in the world of science. Brian Cox is an interesting person because he he first kind of became famous uh, as a musician. He was in a band that uh, had a number one single. The band was called D-Ream. The number one single was called Things Can Only Get Better. That was in the 90s. So in the 90s, Brian Cox was kind of already on television as the keyboard player in this band. Uh, The band, I think, broke up sometime in the late 90s, and Brian Cox continued his studies in physics, and he went to university and did PhDs and things like that. Um, And since then, he's become one of the country's top physicists. Um, um, And... um, He's also involved in working at the um, the CERN, uh, uh, like working with the European Organization for Nuclear Research, um, the Conseil European pour la Recherche Nucléaire. Okay, I just read that in an English accent. Any French people out there listening to me just now, or Belgian people, or people who speak French, I just read out some French in a definitely fully uh, English accent, all right? Now, I did that on purpose, so don't judge me for my French pronunciation. CERN is um, an organisation, it's a research organisation based in, in Europe that operates the largest particle physics laboratory in the world. You might have heard about it. Um, this was the, the the particle physics laboratory, which was involved in um, uh, particle accelerators, um, in order to try and understand the way in which particles work. It's like they're trying to understand um, like some of the basic, most important, vital things about the way that the the world exists and the way that the universe works. And this particle accelerator is like this huge kind of. I think it's in Switzerland, right? It's kind of buried deep in the ground, somewhere under Switzerland. And just a few years ago, they launched this experiment where they basically fired particles at each other at pretty much like light speed in order to try and recreate what happened at the beginning of the universe when the Big Bang occurred, uh, which was like, you know, the birth of the universe as we know it. So, you know, these guys, including um, Professor Brian Cox, are involved in like, you know, seriously complex uh, research relating to the way in which the ways in which particles work and the ways in which the whole universe actually exists. Um, so the guy is like incredibly knowledgeable and incredibly intelligent about 
things like astronomy and uh, astrophysics and particle physics and things like that. And he's got answers to many of the, the big questions that we have about the way that the whole universe works. And so in, um, the, in episodes of The Infinite Monkey Cage, he's joined by this humorous guy, Robin Ince, and they basically deal with different subjects relating to physics, space, and the mysteries and wonders of the universe. And um, it's quite amazing to listen to. Uh, first of all, it's just quite fun. There's the comedy stuff from Robin, and Robin does impressions and makes jokes and things like that. And then there's also just the incredible stuff that we can learn about the universe from Professor Brian Cox. Um, and uh, the podcast is available, you know, again, on the BBC's website, on Acast, on iTunes. I'm going to play you a little extract. This is just like the first couple of minutes of an episode. I think this is actually the second episode of The Infinite Monkey Cage. This is the second ever episode. I don't know how many episodes they've done now. They've been going for a few years, but I'm just going to play you the beginning of, I think, episode two, just so you get a little flavour of what it's like. So I'm going to, I'm just going to play this to you. Uh, first thing is there might be some content in here that's complicated. In fact, this podcast, although it's fascinating and, and quite funny, obviously, because it's about physics, it's going to be quite complicated. So naturally, there'll be all sorts of complicated stuff. Now, when I listen to this, to be honest with you, I don't understand everything that they're talking about. It kind of takes me back to science lessons at school, which were interesting, but often left me a bit confused. So that is a normal experience. So if you don't understand everything, that's kind of normal, really, for this subject. The second thing is, this is just the first couple of minutes of the episode. So I'll I'll just sort of stop it after two minutes or so. So here we go time to step inside the infinite monkey cage for some more irreverent science chat with the physicist Brian Cox and the comedian Robin Ince. This week, the monkey cage team tackle a topic that is literally out of this world. Welcome to the infinite monkey cage, the show that mixes science and rationality, although it may meander a bit. I'm Brian Cox and I understand the Pomeron. Well, I'm Robin Ince and I'm sometimes, in fact, frequently confused by the gender-swapping nature of the slipper limpet. Coming up on the Infinite Monkey Cage this week, we'll be discussing the possibility of intelligent life beyond our solar system, the search for signals from alien civilizations, and we'll be imagining what they might make of us. And if they decide to pay us a visit, how would they get here? It was triangular in shape, a fairly bright, luminous grey-green, and... One of the oddest things about what we saw was the way this object, whatever it was, was following our flight absolutely perfectly, as if it were flying in formation. The truth behind UFOs, alien visitations and some other great conspiracy theories. Helping us separate the science fact from the science fiction, we've got two extra primates inside the monkey cage today. Seth Shostak, a senior astronomer with the SETI Institute in California, whose job is to search for intelligent life beyond our planet, and a filmmaker and author who's made his reputation covering some of the more peculiar beliefs out there, from examining David Icke's obsession with lizards ruling the world, to looking at alien abductions with Robbie Williams, to the US Army's attempts at psychic warfare in his book, now film, The Men Who Stare at Goats, John Ronson. Hello. 
By the way, I have to ask you, John, first of all, just, we won't talk about David Icke anymore, but that was one of your more famous early documentaries. Does he believe that the lizards' stroke reptiles are from another planet, or uh, indeed, where is their original location? Well, well, he always contended that, that they were giant Anunnaki lizards from, I believe, the lower fourth dimension, uh, uh, child-sacrificing, paedophile, blood-drinking lizards who secretly ruled the world. What I really liked was the fact that, uh, that all the people on our side of the fence, like, like the anti-defamation League and, and various anti-racist groups were convinced that when David Icke said giant blood-drinking, child-sacrificing lizards he was using code and what he really meant was Jews rule the world uh, and to which David Icke said no I really mean lizards to which they said that's code too <laughs> so, I, so that's what I love about that particular story that, that the crazier the people on the fringes get the crazier our responses towards them On more scientific matters Seth Shostak you work for the SETI Institute which stands for the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence could you briefly describe what that is and how we go about searching for signs of alien civilizations? Well, sure. In, in fact, this is what's called the scientific search for extraterrestrial intelligence because there are plenty of people who are looking for the aliens, as you've already alluded to, right here on planet Earth. We're not doing that. We're trying to find them at home by eavesdropping on signals, just what Jodie Foster did in the movie Contact. And so we wield these you know, big antennas, radio telescopes. We point them at nearby stars. We try and pick up on signals that might be headed our way from somebody else simply on the basis of the fact that even we, only a hundred years after really inventing radio or perfecting radio, we can already make transmitters that could reach the stars with their signals, very strong signals at the distances of the stars. This was realized half a century ago. So some people said, look, if there are other societies out there that are at least as clever as the, uh, you know, the residents of Clapham Junction or something, they may be broadcasting signals that are washing over us all the time. Why not look for them? And that's the fundamental premise of this experiment. Seth, what makes us think uh, there is intelligent life out there? Well, I think it just boils down to the numbers, Robin, really nothing more than that. I mean, on the basis of data that uh, astronomers have accumulated in, say, the past dozen years, now you can say that the number of planets in our Milky Way galaxy is on the order of a, a trillion. That's a million million. Right. So if, if only one in a million of those guys is somewhat like the Earth with liquid oceans and, you know, thick atmospheres and all the salubrious ingredients that might lead to something as clever as you are, then that still leaves a million planets in our galaxy. And if you don't like your fellow galaxians, hey, there are a hundred billion other galaxies we can see with our telescopes and they each have a, a similar number of planets. So just on the basis of the numbers alone, no matter what else you think, it, it, it seems rather likely we're not the only game in town. John, do you think the human race could stand? Right, I'm stopping it there, but that, that's interesting, isn't it? Talking about whether or not we're alone in the universe. Um, and uh, Robin and Brian there had two guests as well that you heard speaking for a little bit. Um, you can check the rest of that out. Just check out episode two of series one of The Infinite Monkey Cage. You can listen to the entire thing. Of course, it's free because it's a podcast. Um, so that was just a little taste of The Infinite Monkey Cage. Um, now, I just wanted to just... Uh, talk a little bit more about Professor Brian Cox because he's he's very very well known in the UK, and uh, one of the things about Brian Cox is the way that he speaks. So first of all, he's got this Manchester accent, but also he speaks. He's often talking about these incredible things about space, and he talks about them in this sort of Manchester accent. So he's like, you know, one of the most amazing things about the universe is that it's so big, so big that you could easily get lost in it. If you went for a walk in the universe, you'd get lost within about five minutes. You know, just he speaks in this kind of way. I'll give you an example. This is um, Brian Cox talking about Andromeda, which is 
I don't even really know what Andromeda is. I think it's some kind of very huge uh, star system somewhere in the universe. But just listen to the way in which Brian Cox speaks. It's quite easy to do an impression of... It's quite easy to do an impression of Brian Cox when you're talking about the universe because it's so big and it's just... It's so amazing. Right, have a listen to Brian talking about Andromeda. of light is not a cloud in the sky. It's not even gas and dust in our galaxy. That is another galaxy. It's the Andromeda galaxy, which is roughly the same size as our own, an island of hundreds of billions of stars, 25 million, million, million kilometres in that direction. Like the Milky Way, Andromeda is a spiral galaxy, Two ringed arms circling a light-filled centre. The core of Andromeda is packed with millions of old red stars. Very few new stars are born here. In contrast, its spiral arms shine with the light from clusters of hot, young blue stars. The light that pours from this stellar city connects us to a remarkable time in the story of human evolution. Sounds amazing, right? But I don't really have any idea what he's talking about. But you know what I mean? That sort of very earnest way that he talks in his Manchester accent like that. In fact, here's Adam Buxton. Do you ever... Here's Adam Buxton doing an impression of uh, Professor Brian Cox from the Adam and Joe uh, podcast. Watch the repeats of uh, of that outer space show, you know, uh, Wonders, Wonders of... The, is it called Wonders of the Universe? Is that the the modern one with Professor Professor Cox? Brian Cox, uh, Doctor Cox? I don't think I've ever seen. But so. you like space. You like Star love Trek space. and space stuff. So you love space. Want to live in space? And, and there's a point at which that stuff becomes so sort of abstract and meaningless that it's weirdly soothing and mm-hmm. uh, and awe inspiring. Sure. And Professor Doctor Cox, on his amazing smash hit BBC One series, has taken this to new levels. He's they've got some incredible computer simu- simulations of distant nebulae. Yeah. But it really is uh, really entrancing, even if you don't understand what the hell he's talking about. Right. It becomes like a sort of amazing abstract poetry or some kind of art installation. These, uh, these incredibly beautiful simulations of galaxies done on computers yeah. with this awe-inspiring music playing behind it. And then the dulcet, soft tones of Professor Cox... Uh, uh, telling you all these amazing names and mind-boggling uh, statistics about these things. Yeah. It, it's quite a trippy experience. Here's, like, here's a clip from the latest episode. This newly born star is over 20 times more massive than our sun and burns much hotter, which makes the light that pours from its surface blue. So it's 20 times more massive than the sun. We're still talking about Herschel 36. I thought he was talking about his sun. No, he's 20 times more massive than the sun, and blue light pours from his surface. Whoa. Does that mean anything to you, what you just heard? Um, It means that I love the sound of Brian Cox's voice. Mm, Have mm. you ever heard, you know, Jeremy Dyson from The League of Gentlemen? Yes. He's got the same voice. You're absolutely right. It's it's lovely, isn't it? It's that lovely, you know, very nicely pronounced sort of northern voice. 
But the words he's saying, I mean, they're sort of meaningless, aren't they? Yeah. No. It's just bu- bonkers. I mean, yeah, he could just be making it up. For he could. I mean, for instance, if I made some awe-inspired music, mm-hmm. would you, do you think you'd be able to talk like him over it and just make the words up? <laughs> sure. Do you think? Be I mean, easy. Do you want to try that now? Why not? Then? How long do you think you could go for? Ages. Really? Sure. And you just talk about how wide things are, how yeah. narrow they are, what colour light they... Well, let's kick in some music. I mean, this is music I, I made for this. Let's see, see how long you last. Here it goes. Look, really far, far away is a giant big thing, plate, like a plate, called Julia 19. Oh, it's ever so large and it's huge. Look at that, you could pile so much pudding on the top of it. It's massive and great big. Further away from that, even, yeah. is Michael Nonce Face 69,000. How big? It's really much bigger than even Julia 15 or whatever the number was that I said of the plate. It's so big, it's like a big massive balloon or a house. How wide? Really, really wide. Like a road. A massive as wide as a big road. What about colour? What colour? It's, in, it's incredibly green and glowing green. And bits of green toffees are coming off the top of it. And people are catching them in their mouths. It's massive, though. Imagine the most big toffee you ever saw. It's bigger than... (laughs) (laughs) It's bigger than that. Do something bigger. Something bigger. But dwarfing all those things ever so... Oh. (laughs) I've exploded. The universe exploded. (laughs) It was too big. You overdone it. Oh, okay. So the, apparently the, he, the universe exploded there because everything was too big. Um, all right, so that was Brian Cox and the way that he speaks like that. And it's all fascinating and huge. Um, okay. So anyway, that, that, was the, that was the end of the bit on the infinite monkey cage, right? So if you want to learn about the universe and you want aliens and stuff like that, and you want to have a good laugh and you want to be soothed by the lovely soothing voice of Professor Brian Cox then you could listen to The Infinite Monkey Cage with Brian Cox and Robin Ince. Okay? All right. Now, the next one I want to talk about is called... It's basically Friday Night Comedy from BBC Radio 4. Okay? So every week, uh, the the BBC produces a podcast called Friday Night Comedy. And it's basically like a a compilation of comedy shows that have been on... um, uh, the BBC, and I think most of them get broadcast on Friday evening, and they compile the best bits into a podcast, and it's called Friday Night Comedy from BBC Radio 4, okay? So if you want to hear sort of the BBC's flagship radio comedy show, check that one out, and it's very funny. Um, now, for me, the best show on uh, Friday Night Comedy uh, from BBC Radio 4, the best uh, clips are always taken from a show called Dead Ringers, um, if if you say someone is a dead ringer, like you're a dead ringer for Brian Cox, that means you look exactly like him. Okay, so if two people look exactly the same, you can say that you're a dead ringer for him. So dead ringers is a t- is a uh, radio show in which people do impressions. Now I love impressions. I absolutely adore good impressions. And Dead Ringers is full of great impressions. In fact, for me, the best impressionist on Dead Ringers on this uh, podcast, uh, Friday Night Comedy from BBC Radio 4, the best impressionist is John Colshaw. And John Colshaw, again, is quite famous in the UK. He does impressions of, of British celebrities. I'm now going to play you a clip of John Colshaw on, on BBC Radio 5 
And in this show, he was joined by Ricky Gervais, okay? And you'll hear John Coleshaw, first of all, doing some impressions of a British comedian called Michael McIntyre, who you might not know, to be honest, but you have to trust me, the impression is very good. Then he starts doing an impression of uh, Professor Brian Cox, and you start hearing him talking like Brian Cox like that. And you hear Ricky Gervais in the studio as well. And then John Coleshaw starts doing Ricky Gervais impressions as well. So I'm just going to play you a few of uh, John Coleshaw's impressions, including Michael McIntyre, then John Coleshaw. No, Michael McIntyre, then Brian Cox, and then Ricky Gervais as well. So uh, this is John Coleshaw, who's one of the actors in Friday Night Comedy from BBC Radio 4. John. Yes. Do, your, your impressions on the impression show, some of them have a bit of bite, don't they, to them? Michael yes, McIntyre, for example. Yes. <laughs> sort of stepping back from the microphone a little bit there. Oh, that's so a... not too overmodulate. Oh, that's a brilliant impression. <laughs> They're all good. They're all yes. good. It's, 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 uh, I, I was looking in the man drawer, my man drawer. I was looking in my man drawer. <laughs> I lo- Ricky, I love doing the impression <laughs> of you. I think that might be the best impression of yours I've seen you yet. Oh, Brian Cox was ridiculous. That's amazing. Did I you mean, hear that earlier? But it's so, also, there's no clue that you can do Brian Cox. It's so unlike your, your, your whole tone, but everything about you, it's, it's totally different. So you, that, that's, that's a bit of wizardry. Ricky obviously heard that earlier, but didn't see it, and you do some of the mannerisms. Would you mind doing a little bit of your newest impression, Brian Cox, once more, John? Well, I was talking about the, the great <laughs> gas giants of Jupiter and Saturn. And if they were the size of a, a football that smelled of PVC you get from Woolworths, <laughs> then, then Uranus and Neptune perhaps would be tomatoes or a tennis oh. ball. <laughs> you see, that's terrible now because I think he's a genius. I think he's like our new Carl Sagan. He's but now, genius. when he puts in those little bits of poetry, they're, they're, he's done it for me. He's deconstructed a PVC from Woolworths. It's done now. That it's, is the problem. You deconstruct terrible. someone's it's act. It's terrible. You? Space is like, you know, when you think about space, it's like, it's like really, it's like dead big. It's like <laughs> There's loads, there's loads of it. Uh, Vicky Wembley oh. says, Richard, John does a really good David Brent. Will he do it in front of Ricky? Well, I was going to say, I, I love doing the impression of you, Ricky, because, uh, oh, sometimes ooh, you don't need words, okay? Oh, little, little nuances, little things like that. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Creepy, isn't it? It's, a it's weird, isn't that it? Was, yeah, that was quite. It's quite a challenge doing the impression next to the person, but then it's sort of helpful because you're sort of there and I can have a look. And I know, like I know. That. What? So when you, when you were studying Ricky, when you were watching a bit of footage of him, what were the sort of essential ingredients then that you picked out? Yeah, okay, nuances, yeah, little movements, yeah, like that one. <laughs> sort of words at that level, going back to sort of there. <laughs> Do you recognise that? Yeah, yeah. I always, I always think it's more Brent than me. But then, yes, there's, yes. There's, uh, that's uh, that's me trying to keep my, my ego intact because I, I think that you can, you can distance yourself if he's doing a comedy character you invented as yeah. opposed to you. Yes. you yeah, but uh, yeah, uh, it's well, it's remarkable. It's just great. Okay, so that was John Colshaw from Dead Ringers, which is one of the shows that you can listen to on that BBC uh, Radio 4 comedy show, Friday Night Comedy from BBC Radio 4. By the way, you can find links to these uh, all these podcasts and the names of all these podcasts. And in fact, you can find embedded audio players for all of these podcasts on the page for this episode. So you can just check them all out there. Now, the next one I'm going to talk to you about is called Distraction Pieces with Scroobius Pip. Distraction Pieces with Scroobius Pip. And... Um, uh, 
so Scroobius Pip is a is a rapper from the UK. He's a he's a London based rapper, and he does these sorts of underground kind of raps. He's he, you know I think that's how he first made his name really is is through music. So he's kind of the sort of person who does sort of um, fairly kind of uh, intelligent but kind of uh, uh, underground kind of rapping. Right? It's hard for me to talk about this and also sound cool, but he's um, he's a very interesting person because. Um, his raps are sort of very thoughtful and they talk about lots of different issues in them and they're quite thought-provoking and a little bit controversial in places and stuff like that. And uh, he's quite an interesting character, basically. He's obviously a very sort of a very intelligent person. And so as well as doing all of the, the, the music stuff and he's got his own record label and uh, and things like that, he's kind of, he's, he's an interesting looking person as well. He's got this huge beard. He's got a big hipster's beard. And um, he, in the podcast, what he's chosen to do is invite, again, it's one of these ones where he invites interesting guests and they have very long, very deep conversations. That's maybe the, one of the most interesting things is that the conversations are quite long. And so he goes into great detail and they talk about issues in a lot of depth and they really cover 360 degrees of the subjects that they talk about. And so he's got a very inquisitive mind and he likes to think in an unconventional way. And so you have conversations with often very interesting people, sometimes celebrities, people from music or movies or comedy. And they talk about, you know, all kinds of things. So if you're interested in hearing long form, in-depth conversations um, from a different kind of point of view, then check out Distraction Pieces with Scroobius Pip. He's spoken to people like Simon Pegg, um, Stuart Lee, the comedian, uh, Russell Brand was the first person he spoke to, lots of people from music, um, Akala, and lots of others. Um, check them out. I'm now going to play you um, one of Scroobius Pip's um, spoken word pieces. So he does uh, rapping over music, but also he does uh, bits of uh, spoken word uh, performance as well. And the one I'm going to play to you now is, I think it's just a cappella. I think it's just his voice, but I can't remember if there's music in the back as well. But anyway, this is Scroobius Pip rapping or telling poetry about his local library. And this is uh, why Scroobius Pip loves his local library. There's never really been much to do in my town. The grey skies and grey buildings unify in a frown. The public ones aren't that different inside and out. Uh, it's hardly inspiring when walking about, except for that one building... The one that's bursting with stories, and I don't mean it's tall, I mean it's full of history, and full of poems that rhyme better than this one, and full of towels for your mind to absorb like a thick sponge. I mean, they had The Hobbit 75 years before my local cinema, and the special effects were way better, and the tone far more sinister. Inside my own mind, every tale is in 3D, but to be fair, in my mind, not, not that many of them are in a PG, but, but it's not just all about the books, I mean... I can't put this any simpler, but I just don't think I'm the kind of guy that'll ever have ink in his printer. And that's not a euphemism, it's just, who keeps that topped up? It's not one of those things that just appear, like underwear and new cups. It's also my haven when my internet is on the blink, which is far more regular than the adverts will have you think. On one visit, I could hear kids singing nursery rhymes and tales of a boot-wearing puss. And not a single old lady told a single soul to shush. So, 
surely to enter such a building must hold an outrageous fee, right? I mean, you need to remortgage for a cinema spending spree. So in the modern world, this next fact might be hard to believe, but you can enter and even take things away with you for free. So for education, for the escape, and for the fact it allows me to refuse to develop into a grown-up with a printer that works. I love my local library and all of its quirks. I mean, to be fair, it hasn't really made me that good at writing poems, so, you know. Okay, so that was um, Library by Scroobius Pip. And, um, I mean, in the UK, I don't know about in your country, but in the UK, libraries are under threat. You know, the, the sort of things, the library is an institution which might disappear. You know, now we've got the internet and, and other things. And also our government isn't really interested in, um, you know, supporting local libraries. So it's quite an interesting and quite topical thing for him to have written this spoken word piece about um so check out distraction pieces uh with scroobius pip and you'll hear interesting conversations in great depth with interesting people okay um one thing also that's interesting about scroobius pip is that he's got a stammer he's got a, a stutter or a stammer so that means that every now and then he has trouble saying certain words and he talks about it in the podcast and it's just another interesting facet of his uh, personality. Um, okay, so now then, now then, now then. We are one hour and six minutes into this uh, podcast. So let's see. I've got, th- actually, I've added another one to the list. Since um, since uh, the beginning of this episode, I said there were seven. I've actually added another one to the list. So I'm going to tell you about that one right now. So this one is called Spark, uh, True Stories. And... Um, Basically, Spark is an event which happens in London and also around the UK. Um, (coughs) Excuse me. So Spark is basically an event in which uh, they invite uh, people to come uh, and there's an audience and people are invited to come up and take the stage and each evening has a particular theme. So it could be, for example, themes related to uh, accidents or themes related to dating, for example. And people basically stand up for a five to ten minutes and they tell true stories in front of an audience. Uh, there's a similar podcast called The Moth, which um, is like the American version of Spark. Or, you know, you could say that Spark is the American version of... of uh, uh, Spark is the British version of The Moth from the United States. Uh, but I'm telling you about Spark because it's based in the UK. So in every episode, Spark is in a different part of the country and you will hear people getting up and telling true stories. So it's a bit like the Luke's English podcast anecdote competition, but um, with British people and it's not a competition and it's not on Luke's English podcast, except it is now. Anyway, do you get the idea of Spark? So true stories told by normal people from the UK and because each episode comes from a different part of the country, you will hear people telling their anecdotes or telling their stories with different accents. You'll hear different variations of British English. And uh, the stories are often like really interesting uh, to listen to and quite engaging little, little either funny or scary or touching stories. So if you want to regularly listen to authentic British English spoken in different accents with people telling stories, then check out Spark true stories and if you just search for spark podcast you'll probably find it now i'm not going to play you an extract from spark i'll let you find it yourself and check it out uh because i'm just you know 
I'm just aware that time is moving and I need to be fairly quick. And I want to tell you about the last two podcasts uh, on my list. So podcast number seven here is um, <clears throat> James O'Brien's Mystery Hour. James O'Brien's Mystery Hour, which is um, a podcast based uh, a podcast that comes from a radio show on London. What's it called? LBC, LBC Radio, which is a London-based radio show. What does LBC stand for? Okay, right. It seems that LBC has now become a nationwide um, radio station. LBC used used to be called London, the London Broadcasting Company. Um, it's it's now become LBC Leading Britain's Conversation. So it's essentially a talk radio station. Um, I expect you have radio stations like this in your countries, where most of the output of the the show is based on. Uh, listeners uh, telephoning the radio station and the presenter having conversations, having short conversations with listeners. Okay, um, so LBC Radio, yeah, um, and uh, <clears throat> they have a number of different um, shows on LBC, and the one I'm telling you about now is called um, Mystery Hour with James O'Brien, or James O'Brien's Mystery Hour. Now, James O'Brien is a really good thing, uh, as far as I can tell. He's um, uh, one of the presenters on LBC, and he's just sort of very well informed and uh, is able to kind of. He's like very in touch with uh, the the common man, if you like. You know, he's kind of in touch with the lives of normal people and all the issues that relate to normal people. Um, in fact, the last two podcasts on my list are both James O'Brien podcasts. The first one then is Mystery Hour. So Mystery Hour is generally kind of a bit lighthearted and um, just a bit of fun, really. The way that Mystery Hour works is that um, James O'Brien invites guests to call in with questions. And the questions could be anything, but usually it's a question that the sort of thing that you just wonder about sometimes but you don't have an answer to like for example um or sort of weird things like who invented shoelaces or um it could be stuff like um 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 stuff like this and these are all questions that have been actually asked in the show so for example how do you know not to fall out of bed so how do people sort of uh, stay in their bed when they're sleeping. Why do birds stand on one leg? Um, um, why is there a pineapple on top of the Wimbledon trophy? So if you look at the Wimbledon trophy, there is something that looks like a pineapple on top of it. Um, also things like, why are all bubbles white? Are they? Are they white? Um, can a swan break your arm? Because there's this potent- there's this kind of myth that, uh, you know, a swan, it's like a large bird, white. You see them around, on, uh, they, you see them on the water near British castles, a swan. There's this idea that if a swan's wing is so strong, so powerful that it can break your arm. So can a swan break, break your arm? Um, and uh, how, do, how do the police name their operations? Because police operations always have these special code names. Um how are the letters on bus stops decided? Uh, why do why does the cable on my headphones always get tangled? Um, and you know why do animals learn to run faster than than people do? And just sort of random questions. So listeners are invited to call into the show with a, a random question, 
that they don't know the answer to. Okay, so the question is then uh, put to the audience and then members of the audience will then call in and they call in with their attempt at answering the question. And so James O'Brien then talks to each caller and they talk about the, 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 the caller's answer and they have a discussion about it. And if one of the callers gives what James O'Brien considers to be a satisfying answer to the question, then um, that person gets a round of applause. You know, they get given a round of applause. And the appealing thing about this is that you get, first of all, you get to listen to just average, normal British people calling the show. So you hear the voices of ordinary British people. Often they are driving their cars and they're listening from their cars and they call using their, their, their you know, they call using uh, their mobile phones while they're driving. Um, and uh, so you just get to hear the voices of ordinary British people. But also there's something quite funny and quite interesting about sort of discussing these weird little um, questions and these little mysteries that we have in our lives. And often the mysteries are solved. You know, someone usually has a pretty good answer. And I'm going to play you an extract from James O'Brien's Mystery Hour. And this is a question from a caller who asks, uh, why the bottoms of clouds are always flat? Now, um, have you know, if you look out into the sky and you see individual clouds in the sky, usually you'll notice that the, the top part of the cloud is all sort of uh, fluffy and uh, round at the top, but the underside is usually flat. Have you noticed that? That Imagine you draw a picture of a cloud or if you look at a cloud symbol on a weather forecast, the bottom part is flat and then it's kind of round at the top. Or if you look out of your window, look at individual clouds in the sky, the top half will be all round, but the bottom part is all flat. Why is it? Why are the bottoms of clouds flat? And so this is about sort of three minutes worth of James O'Brien's mystery hour about why the bottoms of clouds are flat. James is in West Molesey. James, what is your question? Hi, James. Uh, long-time listener. Really love the show. Thanks, mate. Um, Appreciate my it. Question is, my question is, why are the bottoms of clouds always flat? You look up into the sky and you see the clouds going up further into the sky, but the bottoms of them are always flat, no matter where you look. How do you know? Are you sure? I, I'm Well, I'm an HUV driver. I'm out on the road all day, every day. Yeah. And every time there's clouds in the sky, I look up and you can see the bottoms of the clouds are nice and flat and then they just grow up into the sky. But how... How would it? How would you know if it wasn't flat? Because it would it would look flat even if it wasn't flat, wouldn't it? Well, I don't know. Uh, my, you, you see the you see pictures of when kids draw clouds on pieces of paper. Yeah, you're they right. They, they, well, yeah, but that's that's, that's, that's like Mister Men going up. But that's they're, they're always drawn like that. And like I said, I, I'm out on the road all day every day and have yeah? years, and I, I never really see anything different. They always look like they're sitting on something, whether it be the atmosphere or obviously I don't know. That's no, I like no. I, okay, so it might it might be that the the expert answer is that they're not flat, but, but that's an answer anyway, isn't it? That would solve your mystery yeah. anyway. But but of we'll course. we'll go on. Why are the bottom of clouds always flat? I like that. I like. I, can't, I hope you're right because I'd love to know the answer. Cheers, James. Drive carefully. Professor Martin Smith is on the line. Professor of robotics at Middlesex University. What's tickled your fancy this week? Oh, it's the clouds. Why are the oh, well are the bottoms of clouds always flat? Well, pretty flattish, particularly if the air is still. Right. And the reason is, as as you increase in height away from the Earth, the temperature goes down, 
and the pressure goes down, and eventually you get to a level where uh, water vapor can't be uh, held in the air as a gas invisibly, and the water condenses out into droplets which form the clouds. So the bottom of the cloud starts when the temperature and the pressure have reached that particular level. Oh, okay, I see. So there would actually be a sort of explanation for it, although I've, I've got to tell you, Martin, I've been sent loads of pictures of clouds that don't look remotely flat on the bottom. Well, if, the, if it's very windy, then that will disturb the flatness, but they will tend to be fairly flat. Unless it's uh, a, a mammatus cloud. Um, now you're uh, out of my depth now. I'm just looking at some of the other... I can see what you're talking about, actually. Yeah, OK, so so they're not always flat, but they often are, and the reason is that the temperature that causes the... be sublimation, would it? Um, hmm, condensation. Condensation is hmm. is constant across a, a a plane in the sky, and that's where the bottom of the cloud would be. I think I, I'm going to give you another round of applause. I like that answer. Oh, lovely! Thank you. And and, and it, it answers the questioner because he wants to know why clouds have flat bottoms. But the notion of all clouds having flat bottoms is uh, is, is is a little bit more controversial. I'm not sure controversial is quite. The right word. Um, part of my recovery is to do salt. Okay, so there you go. That's just a little taste of, of what James O'Brien's mystery hour is like. And uh, so you heard someone posing a question. Why are the bottoms of clouds always flat? And then you heard another caller who is a professor at some university saying, well, the reason is because uh, there is a temperature at which the cloud turns to rain and that temperature tends to uh, exist out on a flat line. There's a whole plane of that temperature and that's why the cloud sort of uh, stops on a flat line because uh, that's where the temperature is at, right? Okay. Anyway... It's quite curious. It's quite interesting to listen to all these different little questions like, uh, you know, uh, the things I mentioned before, right? Okay, so that was James O'Brien's Mystery Hour. Um, And the next one is also another James O'Brien podcast from LBC. Um, And this one is just called The Best of James O'Brien. And the reason I'm, I'm playing this one to you or telling you about this one is because, well, first of all, you hear more conversations between James O'Brien and ordinary listeners from around the country who call the show with their with their questions and comments and things like that. And it's really just a chance for you to kind of listen to questions, uh, uh, sorry, listen to conversations with ordinary British people about the issues that relate to them in their normal lives, okay? Um, and in this show, in James O'Brien's ordinary show, not the mystery hour, but the ordinary show, he often talks about politics. And James O'Brien has been um, a really interesting person to listen to on the subject of Brexit recently. So, for example, uh, the day after Brexit, James O'Brien was on the radio giving these monologues. So he kind of gives these really persuasive and uh, fascinating uh monologues um, on these subjects. So what I'm going to play to you now, and this is going to be the last one, is um, you're going to hear a conversation between James O'Brien and a Brexiter. So this is someone who voted to leave, um, someone who believes that the UK should be out of the European Union. And so you're going to hear this conversation. And um, this is basically James O'Brien challenging this Brexiter um, to like justify his position. And it's quite interesting to hear a debate on the subject of Brexit. Okay, this is going to be the last one before the end of this episode. I realise this is quite a long episode. Uh, but here it is. Here's uh, James O'Brien discussing EU law uh, with a Brexiter. Here we go. I recently went self-employed. 
couple of years ago. Um, so it was a big thing voting Brexit because I was building my business with client base, etc. Um, but I think it's all going to be short term. Um, what what, what business are you in, if you don't mind me asking? Um, I'm a I'm a self-employed electrician. Um, although we've, we've we're we're getting bigger and bigger um, as the weeks go by, but you know, I, I just what, what's going to be short term, Ash Lee? Uh, per, personal loss, personal financial loss. Oh. But um, they, they did, to, to be fair, before the vote, they did tell you there wouldn't be any. Well, I think, the, well, I, I, was, I was never naive to the fact that there, there would be, I mean, I believe there would be, um, and I was willing to take that sacrifice just for the, for the independence and the, um, just, you know, so we control our own laws. I mean, you know, you, you know what I do there. now, don't you? What's that? I, I ask you which law it is you're really looking forward to not having to obey anymore. Um, any. It, it, oh, it's no, not, that's it's that's right, any. One. Yeah, any. Yeah, any, any. It's, yeah, it's, so give me one. Um, the shape of your bananas. <laughs> it's not funny, uh, is it? it well, it, it, it's, it's Cause not. Because the, um, the pound's at the lowest it's been since 1985, and, and, and you just said oh, any law, and I'm just asking you to name one. We, we both know that bananas was a lie made up by Boris Johnson. Remind me which side he was on during the Leave campaign? <laughs> well, he was up for himself, but that's that's not. So, what, what, what is the is, law, Ashley? Because you didn't vote. You knew you were going to take short-term economic damage. You knew that all your customers would do as a, as a newly formed electrician company. Every single customer in yep. the country potentially is going to be worse off than they were before the vote. So, I'm just wondering what yep. those laws are that you won't have to obey anymore that made you vote for this short-term economic hit. Well, it wasn't the laws which was the main which was the main reason. What's the, just the main reason reasons. you gave me, wasn't it, a minute ago? Yeah, sorry. It's, there's, there's, many, so there's many. Can you reasons. name one yet? Um, I wouldn't be able to. No. Wouldn't so you, wouldn't so you voted so that law. you wouldn't have to obey these EU laws that you can't name. No, no. It's it's, it's more than that. It's. Well, go it, on then. I mean, well, you you watch a Brussels. You what? You go to um, Brussels. You you watch the guys talking. It's it's all very. It's very political, and it's. I mean, they're they're throwing their toys out the pram because we, you know, the British people chose to leave. Um, and you know, it's it's like baking a cake, taking it into work, and someone says they don't, they don't want a slice, and you get all uppity about it. I mean, it's it's. We're trying to be. We're trying to examine why you voted the way you voted, because you now accept that it's going to cost you money. You you hope yeah. in the short term. I, I I hate to break it to you, but we're not even going to be close to signing deals for years. So that uncertainty that's affecting your balance book, your, your order book, is going to continue indefinitely. And then I ask you why you did it then, why you accepted that hit to your own pocket, and you say, well, because of all those laws that you can't name. And then when I ask you what the real reason is, you say, because the EU is really political. No. Well, I mean, I mean well, what, 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 at what point, in this mirror that I'm holding up and that you're looking at, at yeah. what point are you going to recognise what you're seeing in the reflection? You're seeing a man who hasn't got an argument. Well, I, I believe the, the argument is, is there's, there's multiple arguments. There's, on, there's immigration, there's oh. controlled immigration. But again, it's not about it's not about you know I'm not xenophobic. I you know I'm not totally multicultural. I've got a family in America, in in Bermuda, in in Spain, and yeah, all immigrants. And we, yeah, well, immigrants are fine. You know, it's, it, there's nothing wrong. You know, they're the same as me and you, looking for a, the best future for their family. But it's not about that. It's it's about the control. It's about our our prime minister. Having not having to succumb to the EU saying that he can or she can't do anything. I mean, it's the fact that we, you know, and that's fine. I, I, I've got no beef with you. you. Know? If, if, yeah. it's, if immigration's all you've got, then you're, you're, you're the cliche. You're the walking cliche. 
But well, what's interesting, Ashley, and I hope you won't take this the yeah, wrong way, what's interesting is that you spend five minutes pretending that you've got proper political arguments or economic understanding, and then as all of those claims fall away, you're just left with foreigners. No, no, def definitely not. Definitely how has not. immigration damaged your life, would you say, in its current um, form? Well, well, obviously, being a, being a trade, immigration is, has pulled prices... No, not, in, not, 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 in the, not, not for electricians. There's, there's scant evidence that for completely unskilled labour, it might have sub subjected yeah. some wage compression in the care home industry and maybe unskilled labour on working sites. But there's actually a shortage mm -hmm. of qualified electricians in this country, which is probably why yeah. you've gone self-employed. So it's not that, is it? Yeah, it's... Well, plasterers, plumbers, electricians... Yeah, but you're an electrician. I'm asking... All skilled yeah. labour is actually at a shortage at the moment. That's one of the reasons we can't build as many houses as we need to. So just in terms of Ashley and Pinner and the damage that the uncontrolled mass immigration has done to your life, just give me the headlines. Um, walking, walking through the, the city centre and seeing, and seeing mobs of, um, of immigrants not willing to integrate... Walking through the centre of Pinner and seeing mobs of yeah. immigrants not willing to immigrate, not willing to Plymouth. integrate. Plymouth, Plymouth, down by Cornwall, Plymouth. Okay. Not Pin not Pinner, but yeah, I mean... And I, how, I how, how do you think leaving the European Union is going to disperse those mobs, Ashley? I think we can, we'll have more control over how... No, but they're already here, mate. Yeah, but we'll have, we'll have more control to... to no, they're here. So those mobs that, that, that upset you so much as you walk through town and see these mobs of immigrants refusing to integrate, now that we're going to leave the European Union, what's going to happen to the mobs? Um, I believe that we can, we can integrate them because we can... We, we, you know, we, we have the choice and we have the, the, um, the authority to do what we like without... So when we've pa passed... Right the, well, so you've that. cast your vote because you don't want these people here in the numbers that they're here in, but you think that by doing that, you're going to make them more amenable to integration and friendliness. So you deliver a message to someone saying, we don't like you, and you think that makes them more likely to be your friend. It's not, like, it's not about liking anyone. We, well, you don't like the mobs in the middle of town, do you? No, and that goes, that goes with mobs of... of Englishman as well, you know, oh. it doesn't matter on, on race. It doesn't okay, so it's got that. nothing to do with immigration then? It's it just mobs you don't like? <laughs> yeah, I just don't like mobs. And no, bananas? I mean, yeah, yeah. And, and all those and, laws uh, that you can't name? Bananas. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, 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 Let's just I, finish I, with a quick question. When you said it's going to be a short-term economic hit, how long is short-term? I think it's going to be under five years. It's so just like starting a new business. Every single one of your customers is going to be worse off than they needed to be for half a decade, and you're happy with that? I'm happy, yeah. I'm happy with that. All right, mate. Let's not fall out. And I hope the business goes. I really do. I hope it booms, even though you've voted to have fewer customers and less money in the pockets of the ones you've already got. Okay. <clears throat> so there you go. That's a fairly typical kind of conversation that you might hear on um, uh, James O'Brien's uh, LBC radio show, The Best of James O'Brien, which is a podcast that you can download free. And each episode is about probably about half an hour long. So much, uh, much shorter than uh, this particular episode, which I think is going to become two. This is probably going to be divided into two episodes, to be honest, just to make it a little easier for some of you out there who for some reason can't handle an hour and a half's worth of podcasts. I kind of understand that. I know it's quite long. You might want something more around 45 minutes to match, perfectly match your commute to work. I don't know how long your commute to work is or how long, you know, you like to go jogging for, but I imagine 45 minutes is probably hard, easier to deal with than an hour and a half. 
Okay, ladies and gents, there you go. There's a selection of eight uh, podcasts that I love to listen to that I thought that you might like to listen to too because uh, they are enjoyable and interesting and also they might be very good for your English. Uh, You don't have to listen to them all. You could just pick out one or two of them, experiment with them, try listening for a little while and if one of them catches your interest, then you can just make it a regular part of your everyday life, I suppose. But don't forget about Luke's English Podcast, of course please do continue to listen to my episodes. Thank you very much for listening to this one. And uh, I'll speak to you again on the podcast very soon. But for now, it's just time for me to say good. Bye, 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 bye. Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.